Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jacob's sons were basically just a bunch of evil guys for the most part. They will have a change of heart later in life, but at this stage in their life, they were essentially evil and had no real you know, commitment to God or any real love for God that was noticeable anyway. But Joseph was the one that stood out. Joseph had a genuine love for God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapters 37 through 38 in a message titled, Joseph, His Brothers and Providence. Now here's Pastor Brian. Genesis chapter 37, as we continue in our study in this great book of Genesis, and as we come to the 37th chapter, we come to the final division of the book of Genesis. We've been studying the life of Jacob, and Jacob's life is still going to be interspersed in the final portion of Genesis here. But the the primary focus now at this point is going to shift to Joseph. And it's interesting that it shifts to Joseph because when it comes to the covenant, the covenant went from Abraham to Isaac, uh, then to Jacob, and, and actually it will ultimately, uh, the messianic element of it will ultimately pass to Judah. And we'll look at Judah tonight as well. But Joseph, although he's not in that lineage that will ultimately lead to the Messiah, he was a key person in the events that God used to bring Israel into that place of being a nation. And although Joseph isn't in the lineage of Christ, he is very much a type of Christ. And at some point as we look at his life, we're, we're going to look at the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. They're fascinating to see how similar their lives were and experiences. And and again, no doubt, Joseph was a type of Christ. If you were to put a theme over the life of Joseph, Romans 8.28, I think, would really be an accurate theme for the life of Joseph. You know that verse, I think, uh, we're, we're familiar with it. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And that verse is so incredibly illustrated in the life of Joseph. And so as we look at the life of this young man, we're going to see that he experiences a lot of difficulty, a lot of hardship, a lot of things that were completely beyond his ability to really grasp or understand at the time that he was going through them. But we're going to find that God was working out this great purpose that Joseph couldn't necessarily see as he was going through the process, but it all comes out in the end and we see how wonderfully uh, God turns the evil intentions of men 
into something glorious and actually a fulfillment of his ultimate purpose. So as we begin in chapter 37, we get an introduction to the life of Joseph. And then in chapter 38, we jump over to look briefly at, a, at another one of the sons of Jacob. We look briefly at the life of Judah. So it's almost like we get, you know, sort of a, a teaser. We get this introduction into the life of Joseph and we see immediately the drama unfolds and then we're sort of put on pause and we go and deal with Judah a little bit. But then in chapter 39, we pick up full swing with the the story of Joseph. So chapter 37, verse one. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, who of course is Jacob, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. You know, it's interesting. I did the calculation on this today. Jacob was about 90 years old when Joseph was born. And so he was indeed the son of his old age. And it says also he made him a tunic of many colors. So Jacob was unashamedly giving preferential treatment to Joseph, which didn't really help for good relations in the family and, you know, didn't really make things any easier for Joseph himself because his brothers greatly envied him. So, so Jacob not only, you know, gives him preferential treatment, but he gives him this coat and, and we read here that it was a coat of many colors. There's a lot of different proposed translations of this Hebrew phrase. Uh, some say it was a coat with long sleeves uh, and um, kind of more like a robe. Some say, well, no, it was a coat with, with ornaments on it. It was evidently an ostentatious kind of a garment that indicated itself that he was uh, the preferred child. And so, you know, Joseph is young, he's 17, who knows? I mean, maybe this did go to his head a little bit. Maybe he did sort of, you know, flash that coat around just to be an irritation to his older brothers. We don't know exactly what the case was, but we do know that they were not happy with Joseph. So, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more. So he said to them. Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold my sheaf arose. And also stood upright. And indeed your sheaf stood all around. And bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him. Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more 
for his dreams and for his words. Now, I don't know if it was the best idea for Joseph to tell them about the dream or, you know, maybe in the tone of voice that he communicated it in. Obviously, it got them more upset. But it's interesting that these were not just the vain imaginations of, you know, a spoiled teenager. These were revelations that were coming to Joseph from God himself. And what he dreamed was actually a prophetic dream of what would happen in the future. So, verse 9, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? So now Jacob is a bit bothered by the dream. And notice Jacob sort of interprets really the dream to some extent. Joseph, he dreamed that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to him. Jacob sort of interpreted that to be referring to himself and to his wife and to his other sons. Now, some argue based on the statement of Jacob here that this probably occurred not in the chronological order. It it probably occurred back before Rachel died because there's a reference to Joseph's mother. Others say, well, no, you know, Leah would have stepped in as sort of the stepmother who was also Joseph's aunt. We don't really know. It's not really that important. But on just a bit of a side note, this interpretation by Jacob helps us to understand another difficult portion of Scripture. And and we see from this passage here in Genesis 37, we see this this principle of, of how the Bible interprets itself. Now, over in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, if you want to just flip over there real quickly... We read this in verse 1. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And then down at verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, a question that's often asked is who is the woman in Revelation chapter 12? And the Catholic Church, of course, has stated and and believed for centuries that this is speaking of Mary. And when I was a boy, when I was attending the masses, I remember oftentimes as you would walk into a Catholic church, there was a picture, or not a picture, there was actually a statue of Mary who was there um, standing on on the sun or the moon and the the 12 stars. And so this imagery uh, to Roman Catholics speaks very definitely concerning Mary. But if you use the Bible to interpret the Bible, 
It's not Mary that's being referred to here, but it's rather Israel. And Jacob is the one who gives us that interpretation because Joseph has the same exact imagery that's here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 in his dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. Now, there's one other star added here because, of course, it would have been Joseph as well. But the fact that this isn't Mary is not only based on what we read there in Genesis chapter 37, but when you go on and just continue to read into verse 6, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So, of course, none of those kinds of things happened in the life of Mary. This is a prophecy about something that's going to happen in the future. It's going to happen with the same woman that's being referred to in chapter 12, verse 1. And the answer to the mystery here is that, according to Jacob, the woman is Israel, the nation of Israel. And that fits with the the context there as well. So, just a little side note on using the Bible to interpret the Bible. That's the best way to interpret Scripture is to look for the answer some other place in Scripture. So, so Jacob rebukes Joseph, but look what it says in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So Jacob obviously sensed that there might be something to these dreams. He loved Joseph. He knew that Joseph, out of all of his sons, was the one who had integrity. And as we go on in the story here and as we look at the next chapter, we're going to see that that Jacob's sons were basically just a bunch of evil guys for the most part. They will have a change of heart later in life, but at this stage in their life, they were essentially evil and had no real you know, commitment to God or any real love for God that was noticeable anyway. But Joseph was the one that stood out. Joseph had a genuine love for God. And perhaps with Jacob, it wasn't just that he preferred him because he was his, you know, the son of his old age, but perhaps he sensed in Joseph that there was that spirituality. There was that commitment to God that he himself had. And so verse 12, then his brothers went to feed their father's sheep in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding the flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So if you look at a map, they were dwelling in Hebron. They went up north to Shechem and then just over slightly west to the area of Dothan there. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, this is what I mean. These guys were evil guys. 
they weren't just angry with him. They weren't just upset at him. It wasn't like, hey, here comes Joseph. Let's, you know, let's rough him up a little bit. You know, let's get his coat dirty or let's, uh, you know, trip him or let's, you know, have a little bit of fun with him. No, here comes our brother. Let's kill him. That's how envious and, and full of hatred these guys were toward their own flesh and blood, toward their own younger brother. And so they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams then. But Reuben heard it. Now, Reuben is the oldest brother. So Reuben overheard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and he said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. Reuben said this, that he might come back later and deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Now, not that Reuben was necessarily an upright guy, but Reuben had already gotten into big trouble with his father because he had taken one of Jacob's concubines and had relations with her, and that was obviously a very bad thing. So Reuben was in trouble. Reuben was the firstborn. He was the oldest. So anything that happened to Joseph while Reuben was around, you know, the brunt of it probably would have come back on him. So to a certain extent, Reuben is just looking to save his own neck rather than having any, you know, real great concern for Joseph. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped him of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. So it was probably a cistern, waterless cistern that they put him in. But notice they stripped him of his tunic. The very thing that indicated Jacob's love for him, they They stripped him of that and they cast him into this pit. And look at verse 25. And they sat down to eat a meal. Heartless guys sat down to eat a meal. And no doubt Joseph was not too far away, probably crying out, probably pleading with them, probably saying, come on, you guys, you know, let me out of this thing. And they turn a deaf ear to him. They just sit down and have a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah, now Judah speaks up. He gets involved. He said said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So let's not kill him. We'll just sell him. The Ishmaelites and the Midianites, these are evidently synonymous. Uh, Of course, remember, Ishmael was a relative. Ishmael was the son of Abraham. So it's interesting that this band of 
probably a nomadic group. They were sort of distant relatives. But here's this boy now, 17 years of age, and he is sold into slavery, and he's carried off to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So Reuben realizes that he is going to have to face his father. Verse 31, so they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. So again, we see the heartlessness of the brothers. They lie to their father. Jacob is is heart sick. He's devastated by this. But they carry on with their deception. But it is interesting. Notice that it was the blood of a young goat that they used to deceive Jacob with. And remember back when Jacob deceived his father those many years earlier? Remember how it was goat's skin and wool that he placed upon his body to appear to be Esau, who was a hairy man. And remember as Isaac rubbed his arm and he felt the goat's hair, he said, well, the voice is Jacob's, but the, but the skin is Esau's. And so... Jacob deceived Isaac with a goat, and now the sons of Jacob are deceiving him with the blood of a goat. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. So Joseph is now a slave in Egypt at 17 years old. He's ripped out of his home, taken away from his family, betrayed by his own brothers. And now at this tender age, he finds himself in this situation there. And we'll pick up Joseph's story, as I said, in chapter 39. But just to get kind of a personal view of the character of some of the men that sold him, the story now turns to Judah. And Judah, you remember, was the one that suggested that Joseph be sold to the Ishmaelites. And we're going to see that all of these brothers of Joseph's were men of dubious character. And so it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her.
For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. Global mental health issues are on the rise. Over a billion people globally are living with anxiety or depression, especially among teens and young adults. Guilt and regret are becoming identity-defining forces. So how can we deal with this mental health crisis in our own lives and be a help in the lives of others? Well, in his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls presents a practical theology of suffering that will infuse your regret, hurt, and fear with a hope of gospel-saturated meaning. This book will give you the practical insights needed to find purpose in your own regrets, hurts, and fears. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.